Chapter 17 of A Group of Famous Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. A Group of Famous Women by Edith Horton. Chapter 17 Harriet Hosmer, 1830 to 1908. A sculptor wields the chisel and the stricken marble grows to beauty. Brian. Harriet Goodhue Hosmer was born in Watertown, Massachusetts, October 9, 1830. She was the youngest child of Hiram and Sarah Grant Hosmer. From her father came her marked independence of character, from her mother, her imagination and artistic tastes. The latter died when Harriet was four years of age. Dr. Hosmer determined to save his daughters from the insidious disease which had carried away his two sons as well as his wife, and so instituted for them a system of physical training, insisting upon out-of-door sports and amusements. Notwithstanding all his efforts, however, the elder daughter died, leaving Harriet as the sole surviving child. Dr. Hosmer grieved, but undismayed renewed his endeavors to strengthen Harriet's vigor and increase her powers of endurance. Harriet took to this treatment very kindly, spending many joyous days tramping through the woods with her dogs. All the while she observed keenly, acquiring a knowledge of plant and animal life, and storing up impressions of the beautiful and harmonious in nature. Her home was situated on the Charles River. She had her own boathouse and bathhouse. In summer she rode and swam. In winter she skated. No nook or corner of the country round was unknown to her. The steepest hills, the wildest and most rugged regions, were her familiar haunts. A madcap was Harriet, and the sober neighbors were often astonished and even scandalized by the undignified speed she made on her beautiful horse. This kind of life would always have satisfied her, and Harriet thought it nothing short of an affliction when her father said she must go to school. Was she not getting her education in writing about the country? However, to school she went in Boston for several years. But when she reached the age of 15, Dr. Hosmer became convinced that Harriet would never thrive, mentally or physically, unless she were left free to follow her own bent, and perhaps he never in his life made a wiser decision. So he sent the wild girl to the home school of Mrs. Charles Sedgwick of Lenox. Here she had the benefits of cultured and elevating surroundings, together with motherly care, and also of the out-of-door life so dear to her heart and so necessary to her well-being. Lennox, in the beautiful Berkshire Hills, was at that time a primitive village, though it has since grown into a fashionable summer resort. There, in Mrs. Sedgwick's refined and peaceful home, Harriet acquired her real education from listening to the conversations of such men and women as Nathaniel Hawthorne, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Frederica Bremer, and Fanny Kemble. This stimulus was all Harriet needed to develop in her the idea of doing some serious work in life. She began to give a great deal of time to drawing, her study of nature and her splendid powers of observation being of great assistance to her here. Those were happy days for Harriet. She was the life of the household, being always ready to deliver comic lectures, to dress up in odd costumes, to give impromptu theatricals, or to say or do original things. 
Mrs. Kemble, who occupied a villa near the Sedgwicks, often entertained the schoolgirls by reading and reciting Shakespeare to them. Harriet became devotedly attached to her, their friendship lasting throughout their lives. In 1849, Harriet left Lennox and returned to Watertown for the purpose of beginning her life work, which she had decided should be that of a sculptor. To work intelligently, it was necessary for her to know anatomy thoroughly, but there was no college where she could prepare herself in that study, for the subject was at that time reserved strictly for men. It happened that Harriet went to St. Louis to visit friends, and that while she was there, some lectures on anatomy were delivered by Dr. J. N. McDowell, the head of the medical department of the State University. The lectures were not open to women, but so great was Harriet's desire to profit by them that Professor McDowell allowed her to see his notes and examine the specimens by herself, a very radical act on his part, since it was thought indelicate for a woman to study this noble subject, even though the knowledge was to be used to create the beautiful in art and so to elevate public thought. Harriet studied hard and was rewarded at the close of the term by receiving her diploma with the class. This great concession had been gained through the influence of Mr. Wayman Crow, the father of a classmate of Harriet. Mr. Crow became her intimate friend and close adviser, watching over her and guiding her affairs as long as he lived. The coveted diploma secured, Miss Hosmer decided to travel before returning home. She visited New Orleans and traversed almost the entire length of the Mississippi River. While on a Mississippi steamboat, some young men began to talk of their chances for reaching the top of a certain bluff, which they were then approaching. Miss Hosmer made a wager that she could reach it before any of them. The race was made, Miss Hosmer winning easily. The bluff, about 500 feet in height, was straightaway named Mount Hosmer. In 1852 appeared her first finished product. This was the bust of a beautiful maiden just falling asleep and was entitled Hesper, the Evening Star. About this time, Miss Hosmer met the renowned actress Charlotte Cushman. Miss Cushman, seeing promise in the girl's work, urged her to go to Rome and study. Dr. Hosmer approved of this suggestion, and soon father and daughter sailed for Europe. Upon their arrival in Rome, they called upon John Gibson, the most noted English sculptor of the day, to whom they had letters of introduction. After examining the photographs of Hesper and talking with Harriet, who always impressed strangers with a sense of her ability and earnestness, Gibson consented to take her into his studio as a pupil. Overjoyed was she to be assigned to a small room formerly occupied by Canova, of whom Gibson had been a pupil. Here she began the study of ancient classical art, making copies of many masterpieces and selling them without any trouble. When her first large order for a statue came from her friend, Mr. Wayman Crow, Harriet felt that she was beginning the world in earnest. When this order was soon afterward followed by another for a statue to be placed in the library at St. Louis, she knew that her career as a sculptor was assured. International fame came to her with a figure of Puck, copies of which found their way into important public galleries and into private collections on both continents. When the state of Missouri decided to erect its first public monument, she was requested to design a statue of Thomas H. Benton to be cast in bronze and placed in St. Louis. 
A work attracting unusual attention was Zenobia, Queen of Palmyra, in chains. A replica of this now stands in the Metropolitan Museum of New York City. Miss Hosmer's whole soul was enlisted in her work on this particular piece of sculpture. She spent days searching the libraries for information upon the subject, information that should stimulate her hand to express powerfully her conception of the great queen, dignified, imposing, and courageous, despite her fallen fortunes. This statue was exhibited in Rome, England, and America. Harriet Hosmer possessed a great faculty for inspiring warm and lasting friendships. Among her intimate friends during her long residence in Italy were the Brownings, Mrs. Jameson, Sir Frederick Layton, and W. W. Story. The charming group of artistic people living at that time in Rome, most of them engaged in earnest work, occasionally took a holiday in the form of a picnic or an excursion to the Campania. In one of her letters, Mrs. Browning speaks of these excursions, which had been instituted by Fanny Kemble and her sister Adelaide Sartoris. Certainly they gave us some exquisite hours on the Campania with certain of their friends. Their talk was almost too brilliant. I should mention, too, Miss Hosmer, but she is better than a talker, the young American sculptress who is a great pet of mine in Roberts. She lives here all alone at 22 works from six o'clock in the morning till night, as a great artist must, and this with an absence of pretension and simplicity of manners, which accord rather with the childish dimples of her rosy cheeks than with her broad forehead and lofty aims. Frances Power Cobb wrote of her, She was in those days the most bewitching sprite the world ever saw. Never have I laughed so helplessly as at the infinite fun of that bright Yankee girl. Even in later years, when we perforce grew a little graver, she needed only to begin one of her descriptive stories to make us all young again. During five happy years, Charlotte Cushman, Miss Hosmer, and another friend made their home together. In a letter to America, Harriet wrote, Miss Cushman is like a mother to me and spoils me utterly. In 1862, Miss Hosmer received the news of her father's death. Though grieving sincerely, she worked but the more assiduously to keep herself free of selfish sorrow. By means of the moderate fortune left her, she was able to take an apartment of her own and establish a studio, which was considered the most beautiful in Rome. Here she entertained noted people of the day who came to visit her. Usually, after a hard day's work, she would mount her horse and gallop over the Campania, returning refreshed at night and ready to dine with her friends. Her animation and wit and discussion, her musical laughter, her gaiety and lightness of spirits astonished and charmed all who met her. Like most thinking women of the time, Harriet Hosmer abhorred slavery and did her part in the abolition movement by making an inspiring statue called the African Sybil, the figure of a Negro girl prophesying the freedom of her race. Of this work, Tennyson said, it is the most poetic rendering in art of a great historical truth I have ever seen. One of her notable orders came from the beautiful Queen of Naples, whose portrait she executed in marble. The Queen became a close friend of Miss Hosmer, and her brother, King Ludwig II of Bavaria, frequently visited the studio. Miss Hosmer's last years were spent in England and America, with only occasional visits to Rome. Death came to her in 1908 at the age of 78, but to the end, she remained an entertaining talker, 
recalling with joy the many episodes of her busy, happy life and the great people she had known. End of chapter 17 Recording by Colleen McMahon